it is okay for things to be bad. Things are going to be bad. You can plan all you want. Do not expect everything to be happy and positive. The idea is to make things a little better, not make things the best, because the best is not possible. Hey everyone, my name is Bridget McCullough, and this is Leading to Wellbeing, a podcast series from the Ohio Health Leadership Academy. When leading a team through change, so often we focus on the strategy, our goals, timeline, communications plan, and training. But there is another element of change that if not managed well, can deter all the work that is done to implement it. To be successful, we can never underestimate the power of emotions. Change is disruptive, both professionally and personally. It affects the nature of our work, how we make decisions, and how we communicate. It can also impact our identity, our sense of belonging, and our relationships with others. So it only makes sense that the way people feel as they face change and the way we respond to those feelings can seriously impact how well a team moves through it, and ultimately, whether or not the change is successful. In this episode, Mike Racy, Ohio Health's Senior Change Management Consultant, and Amy Up, Senior Customer Strategy Advisor and former Director of Fitness and Wellness, join us for a conversation about leading through change. They share their own struggles and learning moments in navigating change and provide great insight on how to address the emotional response of their team as well as their own. Mike and Amy, it is so great to have you both on the Leading to Wellbeing podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Before we get started talking about leading through change, which honestly, I could not think of two more perfect guests to have this conversation, we're going to start with our check-in question to see how you both are doing and how we're all showing up today. So if there was a theme song for your well-being for the last week, what would it be? Well, I uh, am a child of the 80s, as we were talking before we went on. And there was a song from a band called Level 42 called Something About You. And it was a fairly, not a hard rock song, but it had a pretty fast beat. Well, they did an acoustic version of it. Okay. And they transformed the song. It's Ooh. like slow, sultry, just kind of mellow song. And sometimes I just go back to it. And I recommend listening to it. Just like you two will just send me on rabbit holes. And it popped up this week and it was just very relaxing and soothing and just nice to go down memory lane. But I recommend checking it out if you haven't heard it. Yeah, I will. I'm a child of the 80s, kind of. I was born in 83, but I feel closer to the 80s than I do the 90s in many ways. But I love that we've been asking this question a lot on the podcast. And it's interesting that so many guests have brought up a song, and I know I have as well, that's less about what the song actually is and more just about the feeling and the nostalgia of it. I think sometimes there is a song that just makes you feel something regardless of what the song is about, especially if it's from a certain time period, whether that be recent or a while ago. So thanks. I will check it out. Amy? So interesting. I couldn't think of an individual song, but I do consider myself a child of the 90s because that's where just a lot of fun things happened. 
I go back to bands like Matchbox 20. Mm. And when I put that music on, I go back, right? I go back to a simpler time. Mm. And it just helps me ground myself and just really great feelings. And I found myself, especially in this last week, doing that a lot of putting my headphones in, going for a walk or just focusing on something and just listening, not necessarily to an individual song, but just an entire genre of music from my 90s. That's great. I love that it can take you to a different place, especially when you're feeling the need to go to a different place or to feel something different than what you're feeling in that moment. I've done that before. If I'm really just having a hard day, it's like, what can I turn on that's just going to make me feel good? Right. Yeah. And you just want to feel good. And that's what it does. That's awesome. You're kind of in that holiday lull Mm. that kind of you ramp down. But then when January hits, all of a sudden the stress comes back because everybody wants you and everybody is asking for things. You throw that push this off. So yeah, music can help that for sure. Oh, isn't that the worst? You're like, I can wait until January. And then it's like, And now January is January. January. Yeah. And it all comes fast. All right. So my song this week is Time Stand Still by Rush. And if my husband listens to this, which he sometimes does check in on the podcast, he will be over the moon that I picked a Rush song. He is a bass player. Ooh, and Getty uh, Lee. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> it is definitely, without question, his favorite band of all time. So my reason for picking this song, I am finding myself for the first time as a parent actually wanting to slow things down a little bit. And I will say, anyone who knows me knows this, I wasn't a huge fan of the infant baby, even the toddler stages, I always found myself sort of waiting for what was next, the next milestone, the next thing. And just, I would say, honestly, in the last couple of weeks, I have just, again, found myself really wanting to hold on to this stage a little bit. My son is four going on five. He's still really cute and saying funny things and developing this personality. So I want to hold on to that a little bit. I don't know that I'm ready for what's next, or at least I'm afraid to lose this time, I guess. So that's what I have been feeling in the last week or two. And as I'm saying this, I'm thinking about our topic today, which is around change, and definitely wasn't intentional, but I can see how they're a little bit related. So not why I picked it, but let's dive into our conversation. All right. So I wanted to start today with a really big, broad question, if that's okay. So as humans, why is it that we struggle so much with change? And I know I've read that experts say the experience of going through change at work can mimic that of people who are suffering from grief or the loss of a loved one. So why do you think that is? Why do we struggle? I guess as the resident change expert, I should probably take that one first, at least. (laughs) Love that. I focus a lot on the emotions of things Mm -hmm. and the neuroscience behind how what happens when an event occurs that indicates some change is happening or will happen. And we're designed, our brains have evolved, but we still have that part that deals with if it's an emergent existential threat, like there's a bear in the room, (laughs) we need to be able to act quickly, you know? Yeah. The problem is, is that that system doesn't work if there's not that threat. 
but our brain still is trying to decide. They call it the seeker system. It's trying to decide, is this good for us? Is it bad for us? Reward or threat? But that's all or nothing thinking that's dysfunctional once you start to go down the line. Mm -hmm. So right away, we're in this process of trying to catch up to what we feel. And we can be afraid of it. Anxious is usually the place where we start with that. The grief process you're talking about comes from a lot of study, a lot of research that shows that people have this sort of S-curve on its side mm. where they get anxious about it. They feel a little bit of anticipation or hope. That's denial. Mm. And then they get into fear and then they get into anger and depression. All that kind of stuff comes with it. So I tell people emotions don't care where you are. So when you're feeling fear, it doesn't matter where you are. Your brain doesn't care if it's at work or at home. So if you're happy, you're happy. If you're afraid, you're afraid. Mm. And so that's a couple of the reasons why we struggle with it right off the bat. And what is something that people can do when they're experiencing those big emotions, whether they want to or not? Because I don't think you always have control of that. You feel what you feel. So what is the next step when you recognize that you're not feeling good about a change that's occurring? I mean, it's funny that we have these things. We have a heart, lungs, brain, and we take them for granted so much we don't realize that they're actually serving a, a purpose mm -hmm. that we have to maintain in terms of the emotional impact. If you just pause, science shows that just seven seconds reduces the impact and the intensity of that feeling. When you feel that negative feeling, it is nice to be able to pause enough for it not to control your actions in the moment. Mm. I had a lung ailment that the lung specialist said that a good deep breath is not shoulders up, it's belly out. So if you want air to go into the deep recesses of your lungs, what you have to do is deep breath in, make your belly pop out, hold it, and then try to breathe out at half the speed. And that allows more oxygen in your brain and everything to function better. You just need to think more clearly and you can't in that nanosecond, you know. That makes a lot of sense. I always equate these things when we're talking about them to parenting. And that's one of the things I'm working on when I have those big reactions. <laughs> it's not about change. Might be, but it's hard in those moments when you're really feeling something to even remember. This is what I need to do. Yes. This is the hard. next step. And so I think thinking about it and recognizing it ahead of time can prepare you for those moments when it happens. I know that Simon Sinek, he says that people don't fear change. It's sudden change. That's really scary. When we plan it, it's okay. It's that unexpected feeling that triggers that very emotional reaction. And I was thinking a lot about this. In some ways, I do agree. But I'm just wondering from the two of you, do you also feel like planned change can even sometimes be really emotional and challenging? I would agree with you, Bridget. I think the quick change brings its own set of fears and anxieties and how are we going to get through this? And I think planned change can bring the same, but in different ways. So when you know a change is coming, when I think about the fear that comes with that, it could be the fear of the unknown. Is this change going to be for the better in the long run? Is it going to make things worse? As we move through a change process, am I capable of making the change happen in the right way? And so I think there are probably 
positives and negatives for whether it's a quick change, you have to do it in the moment and you have to be really on your game. Or if you are planning something out, you know it's coming. There are steps, there are milestones that you need to meet, which bring its own level of anxiety that can come with the change that you may have to ask for help with. And maybe that's not something you're comfortable with doing. You have to learn a lot about yourself when you're making a change. And I think understanding those pieces of yourself that are necessary to make a planned change becomes really super important in that process. When I think about long-term change or a change even that you know that it's coming, it's an opportunity to really learn about yourself and maybe be a little bit vulnerable. And that can be incredibly scary. As a person who likes planned change, Mm -hmm. I like to be in that space. I like to go through the process and check off the box and socialize. So it's an anxiety in a good way. But I think there are times absolutely when even a planned change can bring that level of fear and anxiety. And what if something happens that you weren't expecting? And how do you get there? I would agree that all change creates anxiety and that even planned change. I tell people uh, with life, change is in always mode. I mean, every change brings good, bad, and ugly and indifferent. There's a mixed bag. Even if you do a planned change, things will pop up that you didn't anticipate. And no matter what you do, you're always going to go through that curve. There's always going to be high and lows. Sometimes the valleys and the hills are shallower or easier to climb, mm-hmm. with, especially with planned change, mm-hmm. where you're anticipating. I prefer, when you talk about planned change, I focus on more the attitude. What are you going to do if this happens? How are you preparing yourself emotionally for, to Amy's point, when something pops up that you've planned it great, and then all of a sudden unanticipated happens? So it's a lot about attitude, and that's what I teach folks. Have you ever found yourself fighting against change, whether it's a personal situation or work-related? We'll talk a little bit later about helping lead your team through change and the emotions that they're dealing with, but I'm curious to start with each of you and if you have any stories you might be able to share about being resistant yourself to a change. I have several. (laughs) One involves, uh, I was diagnosed with uh, AML or acute myeloid leukemia in 2018. A week before I was supposed to start the job I'm in now, which is (laughs) because fate is funny, right? And so I had a stem cell transplant and all sorts of complications. And one of those complications had me take high dose prednisone. And prednisone is a drug that does one good thing and a dozen bad things. I got cataracts out of it. I was diabetic for a time. Roid rage is a thing. Mm -hmm. Out of nowhere, you just get angry for no good reason. You kind of have to distance yourself from folks. And it it kills your immune system, which isn't great in a pandemic, you know, so all sorts of bad things. So I swore off the drug. And then in uh, early 2022, I got a serious uh, lung disease just because, you know, that's what happens with this stuff. And I went to the doctor and she said, it was a Tuesday, I remember it was a Tuesday. And she said, all we know is we've done about a million dollars worth of tests on you. They couldn't find anything wrong other than I had severe lung inflammation. Well, that's the one thing that prednisone does. So before she could even say it, I said, no, 
no, I'm not taking another milligram of that stuff. And she said, yeah, Mike, the thing we're going to have to do is high dose prednisone, a synthetic version called Medrol. But I was in shock. And she left the room to find out what dosage I would start at. The last time I was at 160 milligrams, which I have doctors in the family who've never seen mm. dosage that high. So while she's out, I started emoting out loud. Yeah. Now it wasn't scream therapy, but <laughs> wasn't far off. I sat there just, I was angry. I was scared, terrified. I was hopeless, helpless, pitiless. Just, I just was <laughs> so many emotions and I knew enough to say them out loud, because that's one important yeah. thing you've got to do. You have to actually name these things. One of the ways you slow down is you sort of account for these feelings that are going on. That's one way to catch up to them. So I'm naming these feelings. And I don't know where I just say, this sucks. And because I do this for a living, I realize, wait a minute, that's not a feeling. That's a message. And that's the next step you take. If you start to get messages from the feelings, now you have something to work with because these messages, sometimes they're true, sometimes they're partially true, sometimes they're false. And so I started to track some of these emotions to messages. And I sat there going, well, I can't do this again. Well, that was a lie. I could do it because I had done it. Why is this happening to me? Well, the best minds on the planet could come up with the best answer to that. Still was relevant. It's not like the disease would say, oh, you don't understand why you have this? I'll go to the next room. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then the last one I felt was, I don't want to do this, which was true. I didn't want to do it. So doctor comes back and I realized, all right, this thing isn't going away. And I'm supposed to start 177.4 milligrams. Beating my record, I never asked why it was 0.4 milligrams. So I said, sure, let's do it. She said, okay, that's great. That's good. That's the fighter. That's the Mike I know. Why did she say that? Well, a little extra context. In this conversation, I was so beat down by this thing, this latest thing, that I had told her, I wish you hadn't saved me. Mm. So how do I go from I wish you failed in your job to let's roll, let's do this? Disease didn't change and the treatment didn't change. I mean, she didn't come in and say, hey, just eat a bunch of candy bars and this thing goes. What I did was I talked out loud to myself about, and that's okay to do, feelings I had. I started thinking through, okay, I don't want to do this, and I can do it. And we talked to the Leadership Academy about the currents of change as a river that mm -hmm. flows yeah. and how that the currents with this disease were moving one way. Leaving and not doing anything was really not an option. She would give me until Friday to decide, just hoping that maybe my friends and my family would, yeah. look, we don't want you to die. So could you do this? Yeah. You know, but I didn't need it because I realized it's okay to be scared. It's okay to be angry. I have no choice in the matter if I don't do this. The only choice I have is if I go and do it. And it, it wasn't as bad. I knew how to deal with the anger better. I wasn't as restrictive as with my diet because I knew I had insulin. Some doctors may not like how high my numbers got, <laughs> how much insulin I took, but it worked out okay. The only thing that changed it was my attitude yeah. towards it. Thank you so much for sharing that story. And I've heard you tell the story before, but I feel like it's such a powerful example of how you can 
be faced with an unexpected change, certainly unexpected, and work through it from the standpoint of your own emotions, which really is a lot of what going through change is all about, which I've only learned from talking to you, which has been great. And it was good, I think, that you did have that level of expertise to lean on to know what to do in that situation, because I don't think everybody would fare the same. They might make a different decision or it might take them a lot longer to get through it. Yes. I fail at it much more than I succeed. <laughs> it's much easier taught than done. Yeah. And I tell people it's okay to fail, but you always try, you know? Yeah. Because we all have our emotions. When people say our emotions got away from us, that's what we're talking about. And we will act in a moment of just sheer emotion where we scream, yell, do something that we regret immediately. One of the reasons I do these things is to try to get people to understand that it's possible to get ahead of it and make better choices than worse choices. Yeah, and you even took the pause and waited for her to leave before you started letting things out, which I don't know that all of us could have the ability to do. And again, going back to parenting, sometimes it just flies out. Like I wish I took a moment to pause every time I got frustrated when, you know, my son threw something across the room or dumped food on the floor, you know, whatever it might be. I'm trying. I'm trying every day. I'm failing every day. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I do. you have those moments where you're like, I, I did it. And you can sort of fuel that for the next time and remembering when you had a tough moment where you were faced with an unexpected change and how you got through it, learn from it every time and sort of take that with you and learn from others. I feel like your story doesn't mean I'm going to get it right every time, but hearing it is really helpful, especially, again, the pause, naming the emotions, moving that towards action is really, really helpful. All right, Mike, I loved you shared this personal story. And Amy, I know you have a work-related story around experiencing a change. And this was leading others through change, not necessarily your own. But as we sort of transition to talking a little bit more about that, not just facing change ourselves, but leading others, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about that story. Absolutely. So I think professionally, the biggest opportunity that I've had to lead through change happened with COVID. And I think we've all come away with learnings about ourselves and about how we operate as leaders and as people and as humans on the backside of COVID. Just to give a little background on our team, we had an amazing team that would take health and wellness and activities out to employers in our marketplace. That's what we did. We were on site. We loved to interact with people. We were providing a variety of different services. And then March of 2020, the pandemic happened. And our team immediately, I can still remember sitting in the space at our office going, what are we going to do? Because we've had to cancel all of our events. Businesses were shutting down. And it was a, a really scary time of what are we going to do? One of the biggest changes, I led a, a clinical team full of RNs and LPNs who would go out and provide services to employers. And overnight, they were put in a position to stand up a COVID hotline for our internal Ohio Health Associates. Mind you, there was no such thing in place. This process started, there was a team that was put into place that was really focused on the logistics 
And it started with folks on our team carrying around what they called the bat phone because that was our COVID hotline, <laughs> was a phone. As folks were working, know that. working with <laughs> IT and working with others, and again, we're all kind of still scrambling in the background. So there was a wonderful team that was trying to figure out the logistics of making this happen. And one person had the bat phone and they were answering calls 24-7. One of our medical directors as well was doing this amazing work. And in that process, over the course of several, what felt like years, but was probably days, set up this hotline, a 24-7 hotline where our nurses were on the phones and they were answering calls day and night on how to guide our associates through the pandemic. And this was at a time where every day there was a new regulation or a new Mm -hmm. guideline from the CDC. There was new ways to track and what should we be advising. And at the same time, the associate health team is trying to figure out how they combat this and work with our associates and redeployment. The base team that worked the hotline, probably our team consisted of 12 to 15 individuals. At one point, there had been over 50 people redeployed from across the system to then come in, train get them all of the equipment that they would need to be able to support this team. We would have 10 to 15 people or more available at any given time. And just constantly navigating that process 24-7, seven days a week. And I think that's where we learned a whole lot about ourselves and how we could function as a team. We had amazing leadership and our managers and supervisors who We're checking in hourly and every minute checking in on our teams because not only were they focused on how do they support our associates, but they're hearing things and they're understanding their emotions in this process, dealing with their own personal emotions of COVID. And it became an experience that taught us a lot. And oftentimes we will now go back to, we can figure this out. (laughs) We ran a COVID hotline, so we can do this. We can look at change in the face. We can have no blueprint in front of us. And again, it was just the teamwork and the camaraderie that developed as a part of that. We still feel three, four years later. And I think that was an amazing outcome to watch the team rise to the occasion the way that they did and lead them was truly an honor that I have. And we learned a lot about ourselves. Like I said, we really, really did. Yeah, you'd have to. That is such a crazy amount of change happening all at once because, of course, the pandemic was emotional and intense and so much uncertainty and change for everyone, no matter what was going on. Right. And then you couple that with you're going to do a completely different job. It's something that none of us have ever done before, so we're all going to be figuring it out. Right. And it's got to be done fast. This is like the fastest you've ever stood up anything and we're going to be figuring it out on the fly and it's going to also keep changing. Change, right. It's probably kept changing the whole time because I remember it a little bit and as we would go through different variants and different, you would be like, okay, we need, we're going to change the hours or what, you know, what our needs are. And so I can't even fathom. I just, I, I heard about it. I was close to it, but Not, of course, uh, as you were in navigating all of that. I think the experience of watching people step up in that space, and we would often joke, as long as all of us aren't low that day, we Mm. could figure this out. 
Like we all knew that there was just some days that like today's a, a really emotionally hard day for me in this change. And then somebody else would be like, but I got you. And then the next day it was maybe somebody else saying, I've got you. You feel what you need to feel. And I think from a leadership standpoint, it challenged me as a leader because over the course that we had this hotline, which was several years, I always viewed my role as a leader in change as being the cheerleader. I'm going to root you on from behind. I am going to tell you it's going to be okay. And I am going to be positive and do all of these things and not let you see that I'm scared or anxious or fearful. And when you're in that situation, you have to accept a certain level of vulnerability because your team needs to see that you are struggling so that we can all have honest conversation about it. And I think that was something that I'm grateful for in this experience. And I distinctly remember a team meeting. It was me and my managers and supervisors, and we're all sitting on a call and we just got really vulnerable. And we just sat there and some of us cried and some of us laughed. We told stories and we didn't talk about work. But in that moment, we were just accepting everybody for where they were emotionally so that we then could understand better how to support each other. And I never in 20 years of leading people could say that I would have ever done that. Hmm. So I think it challenged us all. And out of that, like I said, came an incredibly tight-knit team that knew more about each other and how we could support each other in that moment as we were constantly changing. And sometimes it was, I just need you to log off and step away and to be able to say that and to be able to hear that and understand it and say, yep, you're right. I need to step away from this for a little bit, take care of my own self. What a great leadership lesson for you. I mean, all of that. (laughs) A lot of lessons to be learned. But in particular, one of the last things that you said about being vulnerable and yes, you want to be the cheerleader for your team. That's important to let people know that you believe in them and that they can do great work, but also to be able to say, this stinks or I'm having a bad day. I'm not doing well managing all of this change and disruption and uncertainty because it's hard so that other people felt like they could too. There's a reason that you hear that phrase toxic positivity. Like sometimes too much doesn't feel good. No. When you just want to feel bad. I am somebody, I do kind of lean on the positivity optimism side and my husband kind of leans in the other direction. And so sometimes we butt heads a little bit because he'll just say to me, I just want to vent. I just want to sit in the suck for a little bit. So can you stop with the like, everything's going to be okay (laughs) commentary? Like, I don't want to hear that. I just want you to say, yeah, this stinks. Even if you don't fully agree with me, (laughs) like just be there with me. So I think that's such a great lesson that you had in leadership about doing that with your team when that's what they probably needed a lot of the time. Well, I think, Mike, like what you said, sometimes it's naming the emotion and allowing yourself, you hold everything in so long, it's going to pop at some point. Yeah. And so I think when we felt those emotions and we understood where everybody was coming from, it allowed you to pause, take a deep breath, and then say, okay, now let's figure out what our next step is. So I think just creating a space to where everybody could feel what they needed to feel in that moment. I think it was a great learning. And I know we didn't nail it all the time, but we got better as we went along for sure. First of all, major kudos for for doing that. I mean, standing up an entire hotline in a pandemic is just crazy to hear. 
we did, had a, it the team worked. was phenomenal. The team did an amazing job. Yeah. And you talk about emotions. Uh, emotions are kind of like kids in a classroom with their hands raised. You can leave the room, but they're going to say, pick me, pick me. And the longer you let that happen, <laughs> the louder it's going to get and the worse it's going to. I tell people, you may as well just face the music and deal with it because it'll just get worse down the line. Mm. And that's a sudden change. Not to, I love Simon Sinek, so I don't mean to criticize him. But Me neither. I do too. In, <laughs> in that situation, there can be planned changes where an organization will sit there and very studiously and methodically do something that's going to work and this is going to be good. And months go by and they plan and it's preparation and everything's great and they do it and the organization goes, huh? <laughs> What are you doing to us? They didn't do the things that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And sometimes in a crisis, there's not time for egos. No, There's not time to sit there and say, well, I can't do this or say this. It's almost like a foxhole mentality where you have each other's back, you know, and you mentioned suck. (laughs) There's a Navy SEAL book that was named Embrace the Suck Mm -hmm. that I recommend to people. We had a transition here once that was tough for some people, and I recommended them they read that book. And I had one woman who went on vacation, read the book, and cried every day, but she said it helped. Yeah. Because sometimes that's all you have. You have to embrace the suck because that's all there is. You may as well embrace it. And that goes into the how do you manage change? Well, you can embrace it or deny it, but it's still there. It's still there. Yeah. It's still going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I will add is that change curve that I mentioned. Yeah. One reason why we use it, we also introduced a mood curve, Mm. which is a surprising thing that despite the fact we're all individuals, there was a research project done by Cornell University that showed that we all tend to handle the day, our mood, our emotions in a similar way. Mm. No matter what our circumstances are, the mood curve actually is pretty linear. And what I would tell people is, The reason we show that, the reason we talk about it is it is okay for things to be bad. It is okay. Things are going to be bad. You can plan all you want. Do not expect everything to be happy and positive. The idea is to make things a little better, not make things the best, Mm. because the best is not possible. And Amy, to your story, that's what you guys did. You had moments that were bad, and you allowed for them to be, be bad. And that's the key to managing change. And I love all of this conversation because it makes me think about something else that Simon Zinnick said, which was that a lot of the time when we talk about change management, we're thinking about the PowerPoint that lays it all out. You know, here's what we're going to do. Here's the timeline. Here's the communication strategy. Everybody's rallying around it. And we forget about the emotional aspect of it. We don't spend enough time thinking about that part and what that means and how that's going to look and how we can help people work through their emotions, which they will have. No matter how great and amazing your idea is or the strategy is, you are going to have to lead some people through that. Right. That PowerPoint, that structure you talk about, <laughs> that's the least favorite part of my job. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's okay. There's a methodology, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, it, it is about the emotions. This is the future of change managers. Mm. It's almost being counselors Mm -hmm. because so many things are happening so fast. And with social media, attention spans are so short that 
people expect things now and the faster something happens, it can be a positive, like in the situation with the hotline, but positive doesn't necessarily mean everything's okay. Right. You know, it, just because the water's calm doesn't mean no, things are okay. And don't assume that if the waters are rough, that things aren't okay. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. what you were doing was waters were rough, but it was okay because you guys were allowing each other to say, wow, this is too much. Right. Because while you're dealing with that, I'm sure people are getting COVID. Yeah. They're having family members get COVID. If they have senior citizens in the family, they're in a nursing home. My grandfather was a nursing home. I mean, you hate to say thankfully he died, but he died in February 2020. So he died right before this stuff. Oh, so he yeah. did not have to deal with this. Mm -hmm. But he was in Seattle. I would have been terrified the whole time, yeah. you know. Right. So good for you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah. That's a that's a big project I have to stand up. <laughs> Epic. <laughs> yeah, it'll go with you everywhere through the rest of your career. You'll be thinking about being able to accomplish that. And I, I'm just curious too, Amy, when you heard about you're gonna be doing this, I'm guessing this wasn't your decision. No. I have to imagine you weren't like, you know what I think our team should do is yeah. the hotline. So how did you work through that? What was your initial? I mean, I you seem like somebody who handles that pretty well. But regardless, I have to imagine you felt some things when you first were given the information that, hey, yeah. we think this is what your team is going to do. It's interesting because I had just moved into my role oh, in January right. of 2020. Yeah. And wow. then and so I was two months into <laughs> a brand new role, a brand new team. I was a new leader for that team. So I hadn't even got my feet wet with like what my actual job was. And then there was always this, well, what are we going to do if we're not going out to employers? Yeah. Right. When you think about, is our team going to be redeployed? Are we going to have to lay people off? And again, those are just all the things that are going through your head because our work is done in workspaces and workspaces were being shut down. Yeah. So there was that kind of uncertainty of what this is going to do. So in addition to losing business and understanding what our role was within the organization. It was then standing up things like the COVID hotline or moving all of our in-person services to virtual. And yeah. We set a virtual group fitness subscription in the middle of all of this so that our employers could still have services. So it was just this constant flip of, I don't even know what my job is yet, but now it's really not what I thought it was going to be. So let's figure this out. It definitely wasn't on my bingo card of things that I was hoping to do. <laughs> that's for sure. And again, I, I don't want to take credit where there was an amazing team that figured the logistics out of this. There yeah. was an amazing team that was doing all of these things to get us going. And then my role was really the just ongoing maintenance with the team. We didn't have a choice. We had to lean in and we had to figure it out. We had to figure out how to take care of our people, both internally to my team, as well as with the organization and balance all the needs of the organization while still taking care of everybody at the same time. It was not something that I thought I would ever be doing or that I would ever think that I could say that I had a team that was involved in, but they took it and did amazing things and you just rally, I guess. Did you go home and complain to your family or anything or were you just like, nope, this oh, is just what we're doing? No, I, I think my family saw it. You know, I had yeah. my, my children and, and my husband, everybody was home. The kids were home That's from right. school. <laughs> my husband was working from home. So we were all there. And I think where they saw it was it was 24-7. So right. during different surges, 
the team would wake up to 80 voicemails from the time they logged off at 9 p.m. to 5 o'clock in the morning. So to mitigate that, I would get up and help with voicemails and we would take notes and we would do all of these things. And so they constantly saw that that's what I was doing day and night, whether it was pulling reports, it was providing things to the organization, daily huddles. They saw it, so they experienced it, and Mm. they knew when mom was in a really bad place. And so I remember I came downstairs one day, and my daughter had put a Post-it note on my computer. I just – I hope today's a better day today because they could just feel it. They knew it. And so then it was like, oh, how am I projecting how I'm dealing with this change to the people that are closest to me? How is that impacting my team? How is it impacting my family? And I think that created a lot of those moments to be super reflective and – share and emote and do all of those things. Yeah. I mean, you were creating change in your house. 100%. Yeah. And that's interesting, sort of the influence of of changes and how they impact us in other parts of our lives as well. Yeah. That's, you know, something else to, to consider and think about too. When you're moving through change is not just your own emotions and how you process those, but then how those are projected to the others around you. Mm-hmm. How do you support your team when you have someone or some people that are particularly resistant to change? It doesn't have to necessarily be related to that example. Amy, it sounds like you had a great team that jumped right in, but I have to imagine there were some points where there was somebody who maybe didn't want to or maybe not. But if not, and Mike, you can chime in on this too just from your expertise, what do you do when you've got folks that are just really resistant? Interesting question because I'm sort of, there's an evolution going on with me in that. Hmm. I won't say codependent, but I think I've done too much hand-holding. The way we've dealt with resistance up until this past year, at least how I've done it, is we've focused on words like change, saturation, and Hmm. capacity. And it's good to deal with emotions and feelings, but you have to tell people, I'm going to allow you to be here for a little while. But I like you too much to keep you here, you know. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's tugging somebody along maybe faster than they want to. Yeah. Whereas a couple years ago, I may have focused more on let's just sit and talk a while and we'll just be here. And the projects I do, sometimes we said keep the resistors as close to you as you can because if we can convince them, then everything's fine. Well, Now I'm thinking, I kind of got to focus on the people that are doing the work and just keeping pace. And focusing on saturation and capacity is kind of like that question, why is this happening to me? It doesn't matter. The evolution I've had in being a change manager in this situation at Ohio Health is, let's focus on what we can control. Yeah. And that's, that's a question of focusing on something we can't control. I've done a lot of soul searching about how I've handled that in the past. And then how I'm handling it now is more, okay, we'll talk about how you feel. We'll get that out. This thing's going to carry us whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. So what we need to do, and let's take the paddle out of the water and put it in the back of the boat and use it as a rudder so we can navigate the change because it's going to happen either way. Yeah. I've heard that you use that analogy before about the river. And I feel like that's so helpful. It's like, this is the way it's going. Yes. So... How can you help yourself to navigate that rather than trying to resist because it's... It's paddling upstream <laughs> or or swimming upstream. All it does is get you exhausted and, and make you feel defeated because that current is going to win. Right. But if you turn around 
you can at least see steer it steer it and yeah. okay those rocks look tough i'm not gonna i'm gonna <laughs> avoid that uh, at all costs all right so for my last question today i want to know from you all what you feel like the leadership skills are that become really really crucial during a big change and i think both of you through the stories that you've shared have alluded to many of these without maybe saying it, but just curious to know, what do you think the most critical skills are that maybe leaders who want to become better at navigating change or leading through change can work on? Amy did a great job of explaining a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, being vulnerable, yeah, being authentic goes a long way. We talk about communication being one of the key things. Doing this work, naming the feelings, attaching the thoughts, you know, confirming, correcting, discarding the thoughts if they're incorrect or destructive to what you're trying to do. Doing that is one thing. Showing it to your team and allowing them, to your point, Amy, allowing your team to do that and being open to them being emotional and vulnerable and taking that time I talked about to actually deal with it, that's very important. There's an ugly thing that happens in change where rumor mills and gossip starts. Mm. And so the more you can communicate on a regular cadence, the simpler it is, the more specific it is, the shorter email right now is white noise. People see it and it just goes by. Mm -hmm. So be very descriptive and don't give people a word wall. A sentence or two, some bullet points, just make it fast. This is a social media world. So a lot of the things that Amy did, I would have told you to do. I would have said, <laughs> you're, you're doing a great job. You're, you know, I could check all the boxes. So I do tell leaders this. I say, listen, every leader has a message. A good leader has a good message. A great leader is the message. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to be a great leader, try to emulate what you want people to do. Yeah. And be very, very descriptive and very, very demonstrative in that role. Mm, I love that. Thinking about those leadership skills, I think one of the things that comes to mind for me is don't wait for a change that's going to happen. Practice skills that are going to be needed beforehand. So as you think about if there are skills within your team that your team might be lacking, whether it be communication or project management or, or things like that, understand your team and what their needs are and give them opportunities to practice those skills now where it's not scary where it's not an instant change, where it's not something that we have to plan for, but it's building your muscle. The more you use it, the better it gets. So as a leader, seek to create an environment where you can learn about what their needs are, provide them opportunities to grow in that space when it's less scary, so that when the scary things come or the changes come, that they can go back and look at some of those experiences that they've had and know that they can do this, right? So yes. we've talked about our emotions, but you have the skills to do this. You've done this in different ways and might not have equated them to a change management process. Yeah. So it's really prepping and preparing your team as well, understanding who they are, where they are, and how you can develop them now to be ready for that next instance. That's a fantastic point. I love, love that you said that because I tell people we're all ch more change capable mm -hmm. than we realize because we deal with it right. all the time. We may not know or exactly. say, well, I'm managing change right now because I got out of bed and got dressed. But that's change, right. you know. And uh, to your point, it helps. There's a financial planner guru out there that tells people Christmas isn't a surprise. Right. 
So budget, you know, <laughs> it's like you can plan for this. Don't tell me that you write your budget on Christmas when you know when it's going to happen. And, but that's a great point to have people understand they're change capable and flex those muscles enough so that when change, a big change, a noticeable change happens, that they're ready to go or at least more ready. More ready. Yeah. And they've practiced some of those skills and yes. they can look back and go, wait, I've done this before. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the way that I come into work is under construction. So that's right. That's why I have to evaluate my day and how I'm going to get places. And so we do these things all the time. And I think we forget that yes. when it's time for the big change. Yeah. And Amy, that's a point that I think I've heard you make before when you talk about being change capable is that we navigate change every day. Yes. Yeah. Every day, something comes up that is unexpected, that is different than what you thought it was going to be. It's not possible to not face that. No one goes through the entire day with nothing, nothing happening. Nothing happening. Yes. Yes. I mean, gosh, I hope yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be a very boring life. So yeah, we're doing it. We're doing it every day. And I, I know I've heard you speak about that before. So it was great to hear. I always find it interesting that sometimes leaders, more senior leaders, they focus on the project. They focus yeah. on the widget. And the people sort of <laughs> lag, not because they don't care. It's just that they yeah. got this idea. And I tell folks, you know, any leader can make a decision or point in a direction. A great leader knows that emotions and empathy will inform those directions and decisions. Yeah. And if you account for that, you'll be a much better leader for it. And Amy, you clearly did. So oh, congratulations. You're very kind. <laughs> you earned it. <laughs> All right. This has been such an amazing conversation. I appreciate your vulnerability in having this conversation. You both shared some stories of things that you've been through that I know are really hard. Amy, Mike, thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. The emotional side of change is often avoided because it's messy and uncomfortable. But as Mike said, we are all change capable. We face changes both big and small every day. Successfully leading a team through change can be an opportunity to build trust and psychological safety on your team and strengthen your own emotional intelligence skills as a leader. Thank you for listening today, and we hope you'll join us for our next episode of Leading to Wellbeing.